Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, the founder of the Miller Law Group, director for the Center for Understanding and Conflict. I'm on a mission to change how people divorce and to help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Dinah Barr Campanaro. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist credentialed by the Commission on Dietetic Registration, a certified dietary manager and certified food protection professional credentialed by the Certifying Board for Dietary Managers. Dinah is an active member of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and the Association of Food and Food Nutritional Professionals. Welcome, Dinah. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Catherine, for having me here. And, you know, it's interesting. You might be thinking, like, why? This is a show about divorce. Why have a nutritionist or, and someone who's a certified dietitian? And here's what I've been thinking. You know, I think that what we eat and how we take care of ourselves and the exercise that we do has a really big impact on how people feel. And that I've noticed over the years that people have a tendency to either overeat during divorce and gain weight or, you know, stop eating altogether. Or sometimes they go on like exercise binges. My parents had a friend when I was growing up was getting divorced and she just exercised like literally sitting at conversation. <laughs> Everybody else is having a glass of wine and she's doing sit-ups. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, well, you know, there's got to be some sort of like ideal, something to think about in terms of nutrition, something to think about in terms of exercise, the balance between the two, sleeping, that really could influence the way people felt and were Mm -hmm. able to sort of physically balance themselves, you know, the mind-body connection. And I'm wondering, Dinah, with your expertise, am I crazy or is this something? No, definitely you're right on point. Actually, what we do, especially during stressful times, will greatly impact our health and the way you manage the stress. Stress is really inevitable, but we can always choose the way we respond to stress. And the way we do that, and I had prepared for this radio interview by coming up with, I would call it the syner- a synergistic, holistic, fourfold approach to, oh, I love that. <laughs> to making sure that you are at the prime of your health while you're dealing with these negative or stressful situations. And number one, foremost, is to have proper nutrition. And I would focus on getting the right kind and amount of calories and also making sure that the calories that you have are not the junk calories from alcohol or excessive calories is also not a good idea. And you also have to make sure that you have all the nutrients that you need in order to power your cognitive functions, especially since you have to be alert and make decisions while you're going through these stressful events. So leaving aside the issue of drinking, which I think is an <laughs> issue in and of itself, and we'll definitely talk about that in a little while. Like how is someone supposed to determine what the right amount of calories is? Is there a place that they can go to? I think later on in the show, we'll give your contact information for people who might want some guidance. Is there something that you recommend? Oh, for determining your total caloric intake per day. Well, this is what I'm going to do. I would say that there is a structured way of computing all this, and you can go to an expert, like for example, a nutritionist dietitian to compute these requirements for you. So they will base it on your basal metabolic rate and your physical activity level. But then I also came up with a certain number of calories per kilogram body weight that you can, that you can use as a guideline for women. 
it's something like 25 to 35 calories per kilogram body weight per day. The lower range will be for those who are sedentary, and mm-hmm. the upper range will be for those who are more active. And for men, it would be like from 30 to 40 calories per kilogram body weight per day. So you can start with that. So those are basic guidelines, or you can actually go to a nutritionist dietitian to compute it for you from scratch, and that would be actually more exact. Based on those guidelines, for example, for myself, I'm like 68 kilos. I would need from 1,300 calories if I have a sedentary lifestyle to about 2,000 if I have an active lifestyle. So right now, I'm So for those of you (laughs) Americans who might be thinking, how much does that compare to me? Dinah's a pretty little lady. (laughs) I'm quite tiny. Yes, that's right. Um, I'm just five feet in uh, two inches in height, and I weigh 130 pounds. So we take into consideration your age, your sex, your height, and your weight. That is a more formal way of determining how many calories you need. But actually, if you are very aware and intuitive about how your body feels, you would know what is your right weight. You would know by the way you feel. Do you feel also heavy when you go up the stairs? Do you feel light? Do you feel enervated? Do you feel energetic? And also, how about the way your clothes fit? Because the many times that I have managed clients on weight loss programs, we would go by structured programs, but after a while, they would ditch that and settle more for how they feel. And I think that's also a very good guideline, how you feel about your weight and how you look. Right. I think that's really important, for particularly for people who are going through a stressful thing like mm-hmm. divorce. And with divorce, self-image is so impacted by this process, you know, by the currents of the external events in your life and how it makes you feel about yourself in other ways is mm-hmm. obviously impacted. But I want us to go back to our four point. Point one was point making one sure that you're, nutrition. you're eating the right amount of calories and the right quality uh, of food. That's right. So the right amount of calories and the right kind coming from foods with less added sugars, with less saturated fats, with reduced sodium, because we know that sugars and excessive fats and also excessive sodium intake can also promote a lot of um, cardiovascular diseases, chronic degenerative diseases, and also some metabolic disorders. And on that note, You should also be very, very aware that there are a variety of foods out there and we should focus on variety so that you get nutrients from different food items across the board. And we focus on nutrient density. Nutrient density means in plain layman's term, getting the most nutritious food that you can. So the most nutrient-dense foods have the most nutrients. They're jam-packed with nutrients per unit volume, per unit weight, or per certain measure. Like, for example, broccoli is more nutrient-dense compared to iceberg lettuce. So in terms of making a shift to choosing healthier food choices, you would upgrade your vegetable choice to more of the broccoli. And then white bread, obviously, in terms of nutrition, it's quite subpar. So you would want to upgrade that to, like, for example, whole wheat bread or something that contains more whole grains, or instead of white rice, brown rice, and also focus on getting food items that are whole, that are in their natural state, and that are more or less unprocessed because it means to say they have less additives, less preservatives, and the wholer it is, the more natural and less processed it is, 
it contains more vitamins and minerals. And vitamins and minerals we know are very protective. They increase our immune system's ability to fight diseases. And in a very stressful time like divorce, that's very, very important. Because when your resistance to disease is very good, then you have that much energy to be strong enough to perform all your daily activities of living. And I think that's a bonus, especially if you're taking care of kids. Yeah, I think absolutely. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller. We're talking today with Dinah Bar Campanaro about a divorce diet, a four-point divorce diet that she's come up with in an effort to try to figure out how people can support themselves through the divorce process by nutrition and exercise. So that's point one. What's point two? Oh, point two. You should have adequate exercise. And when I say that, well, you should just engage in any kind of physical activity, any kind of activity that moves your body and makes you burn calories. If you don't have yet pre-divorce a structured um, exercise program, well, it's better to start somewhere. Just keep on moving. And all you have to do is to just be up on your toes and perform tasks and chores around the house, be functional, take care of your kids. I think that's good enough. But if you can inject a structured physical activity program into your life, that would be much better and the benefits on your health will be more impactful. Like they recommend that you should engage in 30 minutes of exercise five times a day. So that's 150 minutes that they recommend of moderate exercise intensity activities. And this will definitely curb those diseases that are associated with sedentary lifestyles. And then another recommendation is that if you are the more active type, if you have a more vigorous exercises, then you should do 25 minutes three times a week. And very important too, aside from the every week exercises, is to always incorporate some muscle resistance training programs or some weight training programs in order to build your muscle mass. Because many times in a stressful situation, people, they, they, they react to stress differently. Some might go overboard with exercise. Some might just totally get off the grid and be on the couch because of the sadness, the depression, the grieving. So what's good is to have some kind of strength training program to maintain your muscles or to avoid further muscle loss. It's not good to lose muscle mass. When you are on a weight loss program, your goal is really to lose body fat, not muscle mass. Because right. when you lose muscle mass, well, you not only lower your metabolic rate, you have to remember that muscles are the metabolically more active part of our bodies compared to fat. If you lose muscle mass, your metabolic rate goes down. And also when your metabolic rate goes down, your energy requirement goes down. So your body actually needs lesser calories and your tendency to gain more weight is greater. Also, muscle mass is needed for immunity, also for strong muscles, so you don't at the risk of having falls and having slips or accidents. So that's why we recommend that you have to have enough protein in your diet and also to engage in this strength and weight training resistance exercises. Well, I also think that the endorphins that our bodies naturally release when we exercise, mm -hmm. you know, I that's noticed correct. that if I have a problem that seems like a crisis in my life, you know, I have no idea how I'm going to handle it. And I go to the gym on the drive to the gym, I'm in a panic about it. And on the way home, I'm like, well, you know, that's a manageable problem. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> seems like the, like it completely is reframed by my physical, mm -hmm. you know, just having worked out. And that that I think is really makes a big difference. It helps people to kind of organize, like the endorphins help people relax. And then maybe it helps them organize their thinking 
in a different way. That's correct. The endorphins are like the feel-good chemicals that are released when you exercise. So it's really, it's been really very important to have some kind of physical activity. What I also wanted to mention is for protein foods, you should also vary your protein intake or your protein choices because we know that red meats, although a lot of people like red meats, for example, beef and pork, we also know that they are higher in saturated fats. So probably during this stressful periods, because you also want to maintain your health, it's better to make healthier protein choices. So make a shift. I'm not saying that you totally get off your intake of beef or pork or other red meats, but it's better to eat more fish and more of chicken and more of those plant sources of protein like beans and legumes. And they're also very filling. Dinabar Campanaro, what about inflammation? I've read a lot about inflammation and the dangers of it. Do you think that it makes a difference in the way people feel emotionally, the way that they think to eat in such a way that to minimize inflammation or not? Actually, there is an unseen inflammatory diet. And if you notice, uh, the people in the Mediterranean region are one of the healthiest people. And their diet, per se, is very high in anti-inflammatory substances. And when we are faced with inflammation in the body, usually this comes from environmental triggers, or also poor diet and also lack of rest. What happens is you create a very stressful situation within the body. There's a lot of oxidation going on. Free radicals are just shooting um, everywhere in your body and they damage cells. And they even say that heart attacks can also be caused by inflammation. So it's best to also be on an anti-inflammatory diet. And the best way to do it actually is to have more plant foods, less animal foods, exercise, and also in terms of a good source of oil. Extra virgin olive oil is very high in anti-inflammatory substances. And also, I just mentioned fruits and vegetables because they have a lot of phytochemicals. And phytochemicals, phyto means plant, so they have a lot of plant chemicals which fight free radicals and also serve as antioxidants so they protect the cells from damage. That's really interesting. So that's two points of a four-point divorce <laughs> diet. Mm -hmm. Dinah, Bar, Acampanaro, what is point number three? Point number three is everybody should, especially in stressful situations, we should always make time for what I would call recuperative self-care. And when I say that, I would include four elements to it. I would call it the RSRS, rest, sleep, recreation, and the last S would be social engagement. I think it's very important because I remember when I was widowed six years ago, I noticed that I was, of course, very stressed out and even my intake changed. I almost couldn't eat, but I have to eat to live because I had a six-year-old daughter then and I, I just have to eat something to keep my energy up. But I also noticed that I tended to need more rest and more sleep and quiet moments to relax me. And when I am ready, I do accept invitations from friends to go out. But of course, when you're not ready, it's okay to also be in your own quiet corner and tend to reflect on things. It's kind of a balance, right, between yes, reflection right. and socialization. Mm -hmm. And I think that people do err on one side or the other, just like with eating, too much, too little. Mm -hmm. And that it's really 
You know, some people are like, I'm going to go out dating and I'm going to go out with a different person every night of the week. And other people are like, I'm never going to leave my house again. I can't imagine a time that they would ever imagine going on a date, let alone going, you know, for a cup of coffee or a glass of wine with a friend. And so I think what you're saying in your RSRS (laughs) is, well, balance, you know, makes sense. Like keep an eye Mm -hmm. on how much you're staying to yourself, how much you're socializing and try to find some internal balance that makes sense for you from a self-care perspective rather than a reactive, like, I have to do this or I can't do exactly. that kind of place. Well, all I can say is um, your body and your mind and your spirit kind of know when you're already ready. So when you're not ready yet and you want more quiet moments for yourself, then give into that. But when the energy is there for you to be out there to socialize, then just do it. For a certain period of time, I would say that when I was faced with the death of my late husband, it was a very stressful period and I was just being functional. I just go through the motions because I have my daughter. I have to take care of myself. But after some time, time heals and you get into more and more things that further your goals. This is Dialogue on Divorce. This is Catherine Miller and I'm speaking today with Dinah Bar Campanaro about a four-point divorce diet. And Dinah, I'm wondering if there's contact information that our listeners could reach you at if they have some questions about dieting and divorce, exercise and divorce, or just dieting and nutrition in general. Oh, thank you so much for asking that. You can definitely reach me at NutriDynamicsNY at gmail.com or best to reach me through my mobile phone because it's always with me. It's 917-913-7648. Why don't you repeat that one more time? Okay. So my email address is NutriDynamicsNY. That's for New York, actually, at gmail.com. And my mobile number is 917-913-7648. And I also want to remind our listeners that we're here on WVOX every Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, also on WVOX.com. And we're also available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud. All right, we've gone through three points of the four-point divorce diet, Dinah. So what's the fourth? The fourth one I would call the care of the soul. When I was doing these fourfold strategies, I included not only diet and exercise, but other integrative and holistic factors because in my experience, it's really very important. So the fourth one is what I would call care of the soul. It could be informal or informal activities. It could be as simple as being meditative, being reflective, having quiet walks, engaging in yoga or the more formal activities, like, for example, attending church if you're involved in one or a similar like-minded group, or reading inspirational literature, because in my case, it really helped me to do all these things. And so for people who are listening to this program and in a situation where they're like, I'm not doing any of those things in the way that, oh, you know what? Before we come to that, I want to talk about alcohol and drinking (laughs) and other kinds of self-medication. Okay. Because of course. It happens, it happens right? and right. it's not necessarily bad to engage in a glass of wine or beer here and there or whatever. I think it's when it becomes kind of a, a habit or a crutch or something. It's like, all right, listen, I had a stressful day. I'm going to have a beer or whatever is different than every day I'm dealing with the situation or two or three or four and it becomes more of a problem. 
Oh, well, you're right. Different people have different strokes when it comes to managing stress. And with regards to um, certain substances that people tend to cling to, food substances that people tend to cling to when they are going through stress would be, of course, food and alcohol. In terms of alcohol, I would say that moderation is always the key. And it's not good to be unrealistic with your goals. I mean, say, if you really enjoy alcohol so much and it makes you feel relaxed, and you also like it when you're in social situations, well, then don't go for being a teetotaler. Maybe what we can do is to just modify your drinking habits, have them in moderation. Like, for example, if you go out, it's best to be aware of the caloric and the sugar content of the alcoholic beverages that you are drinking. If you are given wine, do you know how many calories there would be in, like, for example, four ounces, which is about half a cup of wine? We know that that is 100 calories. Now, compared to, for example, a pina colada, and they usually give you a tall glass, which is about eight to nine ounces, and that can pack already like 500 calories. So what would be a better choice? <laughs> you know, because pina colada also uses all this 80 proof distilled spirits and just remember that the higher the alcohol content, the higher the calories of the beverage. So just remember that wine is less calorific compared to this 80-proof spirits, like, for example, gin, rum, and vodka. So if you're going to have this distilled spirits, well, you'd better go for just one shot or two. Wine, you can afford to indulge more. And when it comes to wine, there are also some differences. You can bet your bottom dollar that the brute types, the drier ones, the less sweet ones, have less calories in them. And beer, actually, ounce for ounce, has lesser calories than wine. That's so, interesting. <laughs> it's kind of going back to point number one of the divorce diet, mm -hmm. which is watch what you eat. But think about the nutritional impact of the calories. You know, what are you getting in each calorie? You know, what are you getting? What's a bang for your buck, right? In some ways and saying, okay, it's not just drinking per se. It's what are you drinking? How does it relate to the caloric intake? And then how's that going to make you feel about yourself and about your situation? Well, you know, alcohol is actually a very calorie dense food. So what do you get from it? It's really calories because per gram, it has seven calories per gram. Fat per gram has nine calories and carbohydrates and protein in their pure form has only four calories per gram. So alcohol is up there in terms of the caloric scale. So you'd better think twice before you sip your drink. Actually, personally, I would prefer to eat my calories rather than to drink my calories. It's easier to drink it up and then boom, it's already there back into you. <laughs> All right. So back to where I was going before we started the, the alcohol conversation, which is always a doozy. Someone's out there listening and they're thinking, all right, well, I've got some things I need to get fixed. What do you think is the first thing that someone should do if they're going to take a look at the four-prong nutritional approach to divorce? Go out for a walk, go to the supermarket and buy a lot of broccoli. What do you think would be the most important thing to start? Okay. In my practice, it's very important that you have to have a commitment that you are staying on a healthy eating plan and be committed to it. And once you're committed to it, you will do all those things that will help you achieve those nutrition goals. And it's also very important that once you're in the pathway towards eating healthier meals, that you also practice moderation in your eating and you also aim for only stocking the healthy foods in your pantry or in your house, because once 
They are inside, especially unhealthy ones, the tendencies for you to devour them. So when you make a commitment, you not only make a commitment towards doing it, but also making the right choices. It's very important. So go for nutrient-dense foods, offer variety, and be very conscious about the amount of food that you take in. All right. So in terms of making a commitment, do you recommend a journal or a buddy or mm-hmm. you know, hiring a professional? There's something that would be a great indicator to yourself. I've made a commitment here. Oh, yes. Um, actually, it depends on the type of person you are. If you, you're the type who really needs somebody to push you, a body would be a good a good partner for you. And also, if you want somebody on top of you, always coaching you, then a professional, like a nutritionist, dietitian, would be good for you. Otherwise, you can also do it on your own. There's a lot of um, good information out there. On the internet. That's right. Thank you so much, Dinah Bar Campanaro, for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. It's been a pleasure to have you talking about the divorce diet. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here on your program, Catherine. 